Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome to Drop Pass Podcast. Another week, another season preview incoming, and this week we have none other than the Metropolitan Division under the microscope, so a great mix of youth and experience will be on display, no questions about it. And if you've happened to miss the previous season previews, make sure you check them out, because after this one-hour speculation station, we will have only one division remaining, and that is of course the front-loaded and star-studded Pacific Division. Today's agenda, though, will follow the same script as in prior weeks, where we will go over each team's past season while checking out their off-season moves and finishing off each section with some speculation, predictions, and a hot take. So, same game, but new players. But you already know the drill, so let's just let our house DJ Steezy Joe kick us off for another edition of NHL season previews. Without further ado. Let's get go. Okay, bud. Time to finish off the Eastern Conference and what a time to do so because I even get to give my two cents on the hot topic that's been circling the NHL bubble throughout the last seven days. And let me tell you already in advance that I ain't going to hold anything back. So more than likely this episode won't pass the PG rating system. But in order to get there, we have to start somewhere, and the first team on the board this week happens to be last year's Eastern Conference finalist Carolina Hurricanes, who once again have spent their offseason adding names to their roster in hopes of getting to the finish line once the Hunger Games start later in the spring. The team is currently right at the cap ceiling, so once again their GM Don Waddell has used every penny in his disposal to improve their cop odds and Somewhat surprisingly, there's been a lot more movement into North Carolina than outside of it, so let's check which names have become part of the storm surge this offseason. Well, first though, we gotta go through the departures before getting to the good stuff, and just like I said, the departures haven't been any major ones that would outclass the departing class, at least on paper. First guy that was called left on the porch without an extension paper was their deadline acquisition Jesse Poljujärvi, whose rejuvenation project in Raleigh didn't quite go according to plan. And soon after arriving in town, he saw his minutes slowly disappearing, which begs the question, is this the end of his NHL career? Or could someone give him another go in order to make him useful, possibly as a defensive bottom six forward? Well, at least at the moment, that remains to be seen, and quite frankly, I would be a bit surprised if we didn't see him signing anywhere before the season kicks off, since he's been able to improve his defensive game and had decent defensive metrics before arriving in Raleigh at the back half of the season, so while I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up signing in Europe, I would expect him to seek for another opportunity across the pond, but beyond next year, your guess is as good as mine in regards to his future in professional hockey. Their other deadline acquisition, Shane Costisfair, also opted out and ended up signing one-year deal with the Red Wings. And alongside him, veteran forward Max Pacioretty decided to continue his career elsewhere as he signed a one-year ticket with their division rival Washington Capitals. 
And lastly, a playoff call-up Mackenzie McEachern was also let go alongside their defenseman Calvin DeHaan, who joined the Bolts. While veterans Paul Stastny and Derek Stepan were left without a contract, so in the big picture, the Canes didn't experience a massive hit on the departure side, and the only notable names that left the team had a very minimal impact in their end results, so especially when we start to go through their additions, you quickly forget who they even ended up losing during this year's offseason. The arrival platform, though, as I said, has been quite interesting since we've seen pretty big names landing in North Carolina this summer, and those names include returning defenseman Tony D'Angelo, who returns to his former hometown with fair expectations thanks to his performance in the Canes uniform before his short stint in Philly. Brendan Lemieux and Caleb Jones were brought in as extra depth options, while the big tickets were handed out to defenseman Dimitri Arlov, who had a great showing with the Beast during this year's postseason and versatile winger Michael Bunting, who is expected to be a big piece of their top six next year. In addition to those guys, also Nathan Beaulieu, Corey Conacher, Brendan Berlini, Nick Shore, Kiefer Bellows, and Zach Aston Reese were brought in via PTO contracts, so we'll see if any of those guys will end up adding to Carolina's already quite ridiculous depth chart. So with all these additions in mind, can you guess what's the end goal for this hungry Kane squad who scratched and clawed their way to the Eastern Conference Finals just about five months ago? Exactly. Only Lord Stanley will quench their thirst, and that was already clear as day when they entered their first round matchup against the Islanders this year. So in that sense, last year was a major disappointment for the entire team, and you could sense that from Rod Brindamore's post-game interview, but the fact is that they've now been swept three times in a row in the conference final since 2009, and in my eyes they are pretty much in a similar spot to Edmonton Oilers, where the only thing that matters is making it to the last dance, so it'll be interesting to see if this team has now finally suffered enough to make it past the last hurdle before entering the finals from the Eastern Conference. Last year, they finished with a record of 52 wins, 21 losses, and 9 overtime losses, which secured them the second spot in the entire league, and as custom, they were cold as ice defensively, and I would even go as far as say that they are cohesively the best defensive team in the entire league, period. They had the second-best goals against total and league's second-best penalty kill behind the Bees, whose season was a straight-up outlier, but once again their biggest obstacle was goal scoring during last year's campaign, and that problem only multiplied in the playoffs as key players started to fall off their roster left and right. And if they can't get over that obstacle as a unit, I don't know if they can ever reach greatness if their stars such as Sebastian Aho. Andrei Svechnikov and even Martin Natchez can jump to a whole nother level because while those guys are some of the top names in the league, they ain't game breakers and during the crunch time, that is sometimes exactly what you need to seal out close playoff series. But I also gotta tell you that I've already worn the clown face enough to understand how good this team truly is and thanks to Vegas' recent cup run, I've become this team's true believer since they have many similarities to the bunch that just hoisted the cup a couple months earlier. They have depth, not as much as Vegas, but much more than many other cup contenders in the league. Their decor is arguably best in the league, 
and you have good enough goaltenders to make it to the finals, but like we just witnessed, you need more than that, and in some cases that sometimes comes from the above in the form of fully healthy roster and great puck luck in the critical times. And since I believe that this team will continue to make moves as the season progresses, I can't see them dropping from the cup race any sooner than this year, unless injuries seriously intervene in their current progress just like last year. And speaking of which, I gotta tip my cap for the one last time for their effort in this year's postseason because, like I said in the playoff review, it was magical how they were able to take home W's game after game with major names out of their lineup, so I would be fooled to think that they wouldn't have it in them to go past that obstacle if they have a healthier lineup next spring. So, with that in mind, pretty much over 50% of their current roster is under UFA or RFA statuses, and if they realistically want to go for it with this lineup, they gotta make moves in order to increase their odds for the postseason, but also for the few upcoming seasons as well. So, guys like Brady Shea, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, and probably Antti Ranta could be names on the trade block before the deadline, because currently they are still missing that ever-important second-line center if Kotkaniemi isn't ready to take on the scoring duties needed for that role. Otherwise, they are set, at least in my point of view, and they just have to hope and pray that they don't get hit by major injuries like they did just last year. Andrei Svechnikov is expected to take another step offensively this year, and that same hope also applies to their first-line center Aho, who was dynamite during the postseason run. Meanwhile, Seth Jarvis is expected to bounce back from his minor sophomore slump, and names such as Natchez and Burns are needed to retain their level in order to make most of their current cup window. Defense is tightly packed, and that's why there aren't any major concerns connected to their goaltending. Of course, you gotta keep in mind that both Andersen and Ranta have proved to be quite injury-prone, but if they roll with three keepers again next year, it shouldn't be that big of a deal, especially if Kochetkov is able to steal the starting job next year, which then could lead to a situation where Waddell might entertain the idea of trading Freddie away for additional assets, so all in all, I'm extremely hopeful regarding this team, as you can probably see. And I just hope the previously mentioned gentleman behind their big desk doesn't just sit on his ass at the deadline and ends up using their assets for the greater good. Get rid of those early picks and see what's on the market, because this is the time, right here, right now. You need better power play and more firepower, so if these guys can't get those in shape, Make changes because the time is slowly running out. But I'm starting to get carried away, so let's start to reel back the emotion because we still have seven more teams to go through. My predictions for the upcoming season. Scoring leader, Sexy Zeppaho, with his new shiny 8x9.75 deal. No questions about it. I'm glad that Nature's finally took the next step, which I anticipated to happen, but... I feel like last year's playoffs woke up Aho's inner beast and he racks up career-high numbers in the upcoming season. Breakout player, said Jarvis, another easy choice. Kachetkov is bound for his breakout, but because of their three-goal strategy, I'm going to go with Jarvis and finally we have the hot take. Let's go with said Jarvis and plus 65 dots. His current highest total is 40 from 2022, and last year he was only able to rack up 39 in 82, so it means that we need to see a significant improvement to his past totals, but I believe that he's able to make that happen, if not this year, the year after that at the latest. 
Would also be cool to see Swedge break the 75-point threshold, but we'll see how the injury ends up affecting his upcoming season. But that's all I have to say about the Canes. I was pleasantly surprised by Brent Burns' last year. He really turned back the clock last offseason and looked like a prime Sasquatch from his Sharks days. But like I said, it's a cup or bust year for the Canes, so we just have to wait and see how their season ends up folding before we once again hit another NHL offseason. And then, to the juicy stuff. Can you remember when back in the day I told you that I'm all for second chances but had some serious concerns about Columbus's newest head coach hiring? Well, no worries if you don't because that's old news at this point since the same day I published the 86th episode, Spitting Chicklets, the world's most popular hockey podcast, sparked the flame by announcing to the public that there was something going on in Columbus which was all attached to their old, arrogant, and narcissistic former head coach, Mike Babcock. And only a week later, NHLPA announced that they had started an investigation related to the rumors, and without going into details, the outcome of that was that Babcock resigned from his position behind the jacket bench without even making it to the team's training camp. And I'm not here to go through this whole case because after all this is meant to be a season preview episode and I don't want him earning any more publicity than what he's gotten within the past 8 days so don't worry, we won't spend much time going through it. And if you are not up to date on what exactly happened you can find numerous videos and podcast episodes covering this topic but let's just say that the old dogs can't learn new tricks and Babs is the prime example of that in the modern era. Absolute piece of shit had this coming his way and I'm glad that we won't be seeing him destroy any more NHL careers ever again. I absolutely despise these kinds of people who think they are second to God and none of your accomplishments can ever justify the things you've done to so many players during your time in the NHL so... I really hope that you feel the misery now that you've completely lost the one thing you have seemingly cared about. Like the Chicklets crew said, I'm 100% sure that he feels like his actions were justified and believes in his own tyrannical mind that he didn't do anything wrong and was the victim in this case, which is a prime example of his narcissistic behavior. So to close this out, I'm just going to say that I stand with the players the guys that came out with the information did the right thing because this extensively exceeds the borders of humane working environment. And since this certainly wasn't his first offense, I hope that he receives some serious help because to this point, the counseling hasn't worked at all and quite frankly, I doubt that it ever even ends up working. So, fuck you, Mike Babcock. Karma is a bitch and I hope that you finally realize that yourself. Bon voyage, come back. Excuse my French, but I just can't stand these sorts of power-hungry peasants who end up in such impactful positions within our society. But let's get back on track. Pascal Vincent, who was Columbus's former assistant, became the new head coach of the franchise. And I gotta tell you that it won't be easy to step in his stall so close to the new NHL season. After all, he had his cake for the summer, and right as the training camp is about to kick off, he is handed a completely new project that comes with quite high expectations, no less, thanks to their last year's total faceplant. 
But the good thing is that he's been working around or in the NHL for over 10 years now, so this certainly isn't anything new to him if you count out the completely new perspective. But without questions, this isn't the most desirable situation to land your first head coaching gig in the NHL without a doubt. After all, the team is expected to fight for playoff spots this year after a completely disastrous 22-23 campaign, and it even remains to be seen if Yarma and his cabinet staff are completely satisfied with this situation, but I guess the early season will tell us their manner of approach concerning the coaching aspect, because right now, they just can't pull a rabbit out of their ass after such a high-stakes hiring earlier on in the offseason. But yeah. The 2022-2023 season went tits up for this franchise and due to it, GM Keku went to work and acquired some names to the roster that are expected to be big difference makers once we head into the next season in just few short weeks. First they signed their 2019 fourth round selection Dimitri Vorankov to a two-year ELC. Then on June 6th they proceeded to acquire defenseman Ivan Provorov from Philly in a three-way deal. And lastly, went ahead and traded one of their this summer's third-round picks to New Jersey in exchange for a pending UFA Damon Severson who was signed to an eight-year deal prior to the deal itself. In addition to those guys, they also signed Nick Milak and Stefan Matteau to PTO contracts and pretty much the only departures from the club have been dead names, Lane Peterson, Gavin Bayreuther and Michael Hutchinson, so pretty successful offseason at least on paper, I would say, if you dismiss the entire coaching debacle. But in order to actually fight for playoff spots this year, the team would need to make a complete 180 turn because first and foremost, they were the league's second worst team last year points-wise with a record of 25 wins, 48 losses and 9 overtime losses. And second of all, their all main statistics, goals for, goals against, power play and penalty kill were god-awful. So. Quite a miracle has to happen in order for them to completely shift their heading before all playoff tickets have been handed out next year. And obviously the fact of the matter is that they seriously felt the injury effects last year where many of their core members were out of their lineup each on their own time which eventually translated to their horrific outcome but while saying that I wouldn't necessarily go as far as say that they would have been for example competing with the likes of Buffalo and Florida for the final wildcard spots even without injuries because this team still has major question marks attached to them in which we are going to go next. First, we have their goaltenders. Ellis Merseligans has quickly gone from a highly touted European netminder to a subpar snowplow who can't win close games on his own, and on top of that has one of the worst stat lines to back that up from past couple of seasons. Whereas his partner Daniel Tarasov has shown that he could be a guy that could take on 20-30 to 30 starts per season, but injuries and inconsistent play have backtracked that vision within the past two years. Then we got their defense. Yes, both Provorov and Severson will improve their overall outlook of their decor, but I wouldn't necessarily say that they are any major improvements at least at this point since both guys have a decent track record which shows us that if the team in front of them isn't extremely sound defensively, lacks defensive structure or otherwise just doesn't have the defensive depth on their back line, they won't be any significant difference makers, so while I'm hoping that they can take this decor to the next level alongside their stud Jack Wierenski, I have my doubts and that's exactly why I'm not as optimistic about their upcoming season as many others following this sport. 
And finally, we have their forward core, and I have to say that it isn't as bad as some of the ones they've dressed in years past, but it still doesn't scream playoff contender to me just based on the fact that it's still quite raw and unproven on the league-wide level. They have excellent young players coming up their ranks, the likes of Ken Johnson, this summer's third overall pick Adam Fentili, defenseman David Yerichek, Russian sniper Kilomarchenko, Alexander Tessier, who returns to North America after his year in the Swiss NL, Yegor Shinahov, and even Cole Sillinger, whose past year was a total disaster. But to me, the thing is that if these guys can't just completely take over next year and become real contributors for the Jackets, I don't see their beat two of Johnny Hockey and Patrick Lainen just blatantly carrying them to the playoffs with decent assistance from the rest of their lineup. So while many have brought up the argument of Blue Jackets finding the playoffs, I would personally still push the brakes on that because the team is still building their future core and there's only so much you can ask from guys that are still earning their entry-level dollars. So certainly I expect them to be better than last year, but I wouldn't go as far as say that this team will find the playoffs at the end of 82 games. I fully get why their front office was willing to take the risk and sacrifice assets for both Provorov and Severson because their last year's decor really ate shit during last year's campaign. And after all, they've been building and building for many years now, so it was time for them to make some moves in order to show that they are starting to become ready to take the next step towards being competitive in the NHL again. And certainly I ain't outlining the possibility of this experiment working, because I've said previously that if Provorov could get to a better organization with better players, he could rejuvenate his career, which has been in a total free fall the past two seasons. And on top of that, Damon Severson was probably one of the more consistent blue liners on Devils back end last year, and overall has improved his game within the past two seasons in contrary to Proviso. There's some real upside here, no doubt about it, but I personally just see too many red flags in this team on top of the whole coaching spectacle, so I'm just not currently feeling too hot for this team, unfortunately. And obviously I'll be keeping my eyes on their young guard because guys like Johnson, Fantilli, Marchenko and Juricek are names that you should keep in mind because they could do some damage this year and will be some of the big names highlighted in the post-game shows across the world. And also if Jack Wierenski is fully healthy, he's going to be a massive addition for this team since pretty much after his injury, there was no way they were going to battle for any meaningful positions last year because there was no one that could have carried even a handful of his responsibilities on their back end. But Adam Boquist ended up improving his numbers, and I would be surprised if Yerichek wouldn't find his way to their top six, since I'm still wondering how fucking drunk Kekalainen was when he signed Goodbranson to his four times four million deal, because if I was their GM, I would just sell him in the black market and would hope that he would never show his face again near the locker room, because that has to be one of the worst contracts in the NHL hands down. But as you can see, lots of unanswered questions dressed in red, so I think we will just wait and see what the final result of this current experiment ends up being. This team's scoring leader, though, should be pretty straightforward, because it's going to be number 13, Johnny Hammond Cheese, but when it comes to breakout player nomination, we once again enter the gray zone, where we got many names that could fit the bill, but due to certain circumstances, don't quite bring me enough confidence to go all in, but just for the sake of naming someone, I'm going to go with Ken Johnson because I feel like he's still an underrated prospect that doesn't get the attention he deserves due to the market he plays in. So Johnson will be my pick, but 
I need to tell you that names Fantilli, Jiricek, Marchenko and even Boquist will have their inputs. And especially Fantilli should be one of the most followed names this year due to his offensive upside, but in the big picture, I feel like those guys are not going to celebrate with as many points as Johnson will, so he will be my nominee for the upcoming 82 game span for the Jackets. I expect that Jiricek won't see AHL rings anymore, and I fully believe that Adam Fantilli will have his say when it comes to Calder Trophy race, but like many years prior, I don't really know what to expect from this team, and that's why I'm quite reserved when it comes to my final predictions. And just to conclude this segment, I of course have to give you my hot take as well, and since I'm not willing to give them the playoff spot quite yet, I'm going to just say that they don't finish in the bottom three in the division this year. Yeah, I know it's a bit of a lame take, but I felt like predicting Fantilli to hit 50 points was too mainstream, and at least currently I myself see the mid-tier of this division as really crowded, so it won't be easy to pass some of the teams that finished their year ahead of the Jackets last year, and therefore, I decided to go just with this one. But extremely interesting year coming ahead for the Jackets, not only on the player front, but also on the cabinet side, since I feel like after that Babdick debacle, the eyes have turned towards their president of hockey ops, John Davidson, especially their general manager, Jarmo Kekalainen. So if this team ends up dipping out again this year, I wouldn't be totally surprised if we ended up seeing some changes next summer, which end up surpassing the headlines that they provided within the past five months. And positively, of course, I might add. Next, we head to New Jersey, who was last year's Phenom team, which has led to bigger expectations for their upcoming NHL campaign. They lost the division title by only one point to Carolina Hurricanes last year with a record of 52 wins, 22 losses, and 13 overtime losses, and are really pushing to change that destiny within the next 82-game campaign which has seriously shaken the power balance of the entire Metropolitan Division. Jack Hughes broke out of his shackles last year, and if injuries don't end up hurting his stock this year, the 100-point mark is almost in the bag already. And while they lost some pieces from their last year's roster during the offseason, their overall roster structure is looking extremely decent, and that's why they have become one of the top cup contenders in many people's preseason predictions. Demis Everson, as we know, was traded to Columbus, while their goalie Mackenzie Blackwood and Igor Sarangovic also were packaged to different locations. Meanwhile, Ryan Graves, Miles Wood, Jesper Boquist, and Thomas Tatar ended up testing the free agency and found new homes in different zip codes, in addition to veteran netminder Jonathan Bernier, who hung up his pads in the late August. And in order to replace some of those names, their GM Tom Fitzgerald ended up bringing in names Tyler DeFoley, who was part of the Sarangovic trade, defenseman Colin Miller, Thomas Nosek plus depth additions Chris Tierney and Cal Foot. So overall pretty big turnover numbers-wise has happened in Newark, but their core is already locked up for years to come. So this was just a second step on their journey to an NHL powerhouse franchise. Last year they were solid on all fronts, they scored a ton thanks to their quick and elusive top six, which was even strengthened by Timo Meyer at the deadline, and now gets to see if Tyler Toffoli can repeat what he did last year in Calgary. Defense held its own and Dougie Hamilton bounced back to his elite offensive self, and even goaltending, which was probably the biggest question mark heading into last season, was stronger than expected, so pretty much all stars were aligned, which makes some people wary about their upcoming season and 
honestly, I don't blame them because they completely changed their outlook just within one year. And since most of those doubters also question Lindy Ruff's ability to lead this team to cup finals. But when you look at their current roster and check last year's advanced stats, some question if this was too much too soon. But I would say to those people that this is it. They are seriously coming with or without Lindy Ruff. Look, Hughes will have his first full season in the NHL and the expectations for his first campaign in the bright lights are quite massive and rightfully so. Alexander Holtz is also one of the names that is expected to take his spot in their top nine and even their last summer's top pick Simon Nemec could see an extended scene with the big boys. So if you haven't already joined the Devil's bandwagon, now is the time to do so because while it may take some time before they seriously battle for the big one, due to the struggles that most cup-winning teams have to go through. There is no question about this team's future, because pretty much everything is in place for extremely bright future. They even have surplus draft picks in their disposal, which they more than likely will use to their advantage at the deadline, so I am extremely optimistic about their upcoming season and expect big things out of this team who completely shattered my this year's playoff bracket. Pretty much the only thing that worries me and many others is once again the goaltending aspect since Vanacek had a tremendous regular season between their pies, but in the playoffs, the melody completely changed and their young stud Akira Schmid ended up taking over, so will they use that tandem as a one unit next year, or could, for example, Hellebuck or Saros become too enticing target for them to pass on is an intriguing aspect to follow throughout next year. I fully believe that they will use their assets in order to haul in a talented first-stringer netminder, and since there seems to be many takers this year for those types of tendies, even John Gibson could be an option thanks to his age and more favorable contract situation compared to the previous two net protectors. But like I said, that remains to be seen, and since I feel like there's not much to speculate about, I'm just going to jump to my predictions, because we all know that this team is going to be one of the playoff teams from the Metro if aliens don't end up attacking the earth so if there's any doubts about their scoring leader next year let me make it clear to you it will be jack hughes three digit season coming up take that to the bank and when it comes to breakout player who else could it be than the right-handed speedster dawson mercer well i guess you could easily throw luke hughes's name in the hat as well and i wouldn't fight you for it but I believe that Mercer just scratched the surface and it will take off this year offensively, and while doing so, earns a lucrative deal from their GM Fitzgerald at some point next year. And when it comes to hot take, I am going to say that Dougie Hamilton breaks 80-point mark. Last year he registered 74 in 82 games and had a brutal stat line of one goal and three apples from the playoffs, so... He has some work to do in order to accomplish that. And by the way, that was his career high by over 20 dots to his previous. So there you go. Digest it as you want. But seriously, this team has the firepower to take over the top spot in the division. And I've seen many people predicting them to win the President's Trophy. So I'm surely not the only one pumping these team's tires. And as a small nugget, I'm going to throw Nico his share Selga Trophy prediction in here as well. He's elite. 
But with that, we pretty much covered most bases, goaltending the biggest question mark heading into next season. And I would even go as far as say that their decor is still work in progress. But other than that, it's looking bright again for this Devil's Punch. So let's just wait and see how far they are able to go with such a successful NHL season in their back pocket. Next, we will head to Long Island to meet our next team, the New York Snooze Fest, a.k.a. the Islanders. And raise your hand if you expected Lou to absolutely dominate the free agent market this summer. Yeah, I thought so. I'm not sure about this kid in the back without arms, but I counted as a no, so 100% success rate on that one. Mega. And no, that was not meant to be offensive, but I'm sure that I'll hear from some Karen, but we will move on despite that. But seriously, someone please take the grandpa out for a walk and take his keys away, because that team is quickly becoming a complete dumpster fire with the way Uncle Lou has been handing out lifetime contracts and plus 4 million deals to aging veterans. And don't even get me started with their prospect pipeline that is hands down one of the worst in the entire league. So, what's the play here, old man? Do you seriously want to see another 82-game turtle defense campaign where your goaltender drags you by the balls to the postseason? Like, seriously. I'm done with this franchise not only because they let me down in the first round where they completely shit the bed against a team that played with two lines against you, but because their DM's incompetence just shines through way too easily and everyone can see that he's currently living in some kind of a fantasy where plus 30-year-olds can beat high-flying physical teams that can beat you with any way they want. Like, how many first-line players can you see in this lineup, realistically? And I mean on a contending team, such as Vegas, Edmonton, Carolina, or New Jersey. Yes, you are right. (laughs) Fucking zero. Barzal is a second-liner at best at this point, because Lou has locked his offensive upside in a cage and thrown the key at the bottom of the Mariana Trench during his annual voyage to Fiji. And both Harvard and Lee could maybe man the second line in Toronto, but that's about it. Sorokin is on a level of his own, and Pelek Pulak pairing might be one of the best shutdown partnerships in the league, but how many goals are you going to get from those guys within an 82 game regular season? Yes, you can get to the equation by using just your one hand. And yeah, there might be some recency bias in the mix as well, but the real question really is. Where are they going to get their goals from? They had the least third worst power play, which evolved in the playoffs to a worst in the league history. And 242 goals for next year won't be sufficient enough as teams like Buffalo, Detroit, and even Ottawa start coming for you within the next 82 game span. Sorokin was your one and only reason why you made the playoffs, but if he gets injured, do you think Varlamo will magically just pull 0.940 save percentage from his ass and drag you guys to the playoffs by himself? Please, give me a break. Like at this point, I don't even know where the Islanders fans pump their hope from because you certainly can't find that from the UBS center, that's for sure. One reason being the fact that the only additions your great leader has made during the summer are Julian Gauthier and Carlson Kuhlman. 
And oh yeah, almost forgot. Zombor Garad from Budapest Academy, so yeah, pretty sick signings, am I right? Well, at least he understood to let go Jack Parisi and to buy out Josh Bailey, but I guess you guys don't need to make many changes because you made the playoffs after all. I mean, what else can you really say? If there are any Isles fans in the crowd, please tell me what's your point of view, because despite how positively I would like to see your situation, it always turns into negative since I don't know in which planet you can win the cup with this kind of a roster. Yes, your team is built for the playoffs, but do they realize that you have to score at least one goal per game to win it, whether it is in the shootout or within the 60 minutes of play? And if your expectation is that Bo Horvat will turn into Matthews 2.0, I have to cross your dreams because that ain't happening despite him getting 39 talks last year. And due to these aspects, I gotta be honest and tell you that at this point, I can't see them making the playoffs without Sorokin turning into a brick wall whose goals against average is under one. Brock Nelson will retain his title as their top scorer. He's been at least consistent, that I can say. And previously mentioned, Sombor Garad will be their breakout player with 50-point campaign. And as a hot take, I must say that they take the cup just so that I can join their GM in the La La Land. Last year I gave you guys a chance, but this year that ain't happening because I was able to closely follow your miserable playoff journey against a real NHL team. Mediocre offense. Mixed with good decor and excellent goaltending, might suffocate some teams this winter, but don't expect much offense out of anyone else than their top guns Lee, Nelson, Horvat, Dobson and Barzal. Of course, if he's not in the shipyard the whole year, but other than that, I wouldn't hold my breath on the thought of them finding the playoffs this year with the way others have improved compared to them. We'll see how long Sorokin is willing to watch this show before he hits the gas, so I really hope and pray that their big office will start to wake up and turn the ship around before this boys club turns into shark bait. Let's head to Manhattan to see if their situation is any brighter than their city rivals. And in fact, that happens to be the case since they got new men standing behind their bench and the core has stayed fairly similar to the one they iced during last year's regular season. And of course, some might say that, well, that's all good and well until the playoffs kick off. But I would like to think that they are past that and redeem themselves when they enter the Hunger Games later on in 2024. Last year, they finished third in the Metro with a record of 47 wins, 22 losses and 13 overtime losses and were one of the top teams in the league on pretty much all measurable aspects. Penalty kill may be an exception to that, but there wasn't too much to complain about when it comes to their overall performance from last year's 82-game campaign, but obviously their playoff showing is a completely different topic, but we won't let that bother us at this stage of the hockey season. They brought in lots of depth this offseason to replace, for example, Nico Mikkola and Jaro Halak on their depth chart in the form of Tyler Pedlick, Eric Gustafsson, Nick Bonino, Jonathan Quick plus few others, but also addressed one screaming vacancy left by deadline acquisitions Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko. Blake Wheeler was the guy that was brought in to bring more veteran leadership and scoring power to their top nine with a steal of a deal, so he will without questions bring more options on the right side, which should also feature young names Kakko and Lafreniere, who will be under huge microscope this upcoming year. 
they didn't have either the cap space or need to bring in huge additions during the summer. So their new GM Chris Drury settled to taping up holes on their bottom sticks for the most part. So when you now look at their projected roster, you could say that they are in pretty decent shape, especially since you still have one of the best netmonders in the sport manning your blue paint. So they are still high on my tier ranking despite their miserable playoff showing. But like I mentioned in my season preview teasers, the big question mark heading into this year is what they are going to do with their top draft picks. Alexis Lafreniere and Capo Kakko, who both have slowly improved their play in the bright lights, but have yet to really showcase anything that would suggest that they will be the next superstar forwards for this team for years to come. Both guys have improved their defensive game tremendously since taking their first strides in the big league. And you gotta admit that the lease was quite short with those guys when Gerard Galland was standing behind their bench. So hopefully Lavi really starts to push these guys to top roles next year and gives them the time needed to adjust to playing with top tier scorers and to even adapt more defensive roles alongside guys like Kreider, Panarin, Sibanejad and Trojekas. After all, you need someone like that when you have two guys already springing up the ice with goal celebrations glistening in their eyes. Because the cold hard fact is that more than likely they won't see first-line power play minutes next year either if you count out injury replacements. So they need those top six minutes in order to radically increase their point totals because in this league the best guys make most of their damage on the power play. And when you get like 25 seconds of power play time you gotta act fast as in between the sheets if you know what I mean. And it ain't that easy in the big picture I just described you so. While there is really not a huge need to win the President's Trophy this year, give those guys their legs and let them show if they have what it takes to be difference makers on the next level. That is pretty much my thought process and I'm going to keep a close eye on those guys so I really do hope that Lavi is willing to enable that to happen but only time will tell what the outcome ends up being with these two young hunks. Otherwise, there isn't too much to worry about. Like I said, Igor is the man and really showed that in last year's playoffs because without him, the Rangers would have been out in six games max. So I hope that some of the guys have bought him some vodka for keeping them in the hunt for the second round ticket. Kreider couldn't keep up his scoring pace from the 2021-2022 campaign and while Sibanejad had himself a terrific plus 90 point regular season, once again, we witnessed his evaporation in the postseason. So in my mind, if he ends up with a limp tick once again in next year's playoffs, Drury should seriously consider his future with the organization because there's only so much use for a guy that can bring you numbers in the regular season, but it fails to make an impact when the games matter the most. And same also goes with their 11 million man, Mr. Breadman himself. It is obvious that he was extremely disappointed to himself after his playoff showing, and in the aftermath decided to let his flow go, so hopefully that will give him the extra boost to bounce back to his elite level and keep improving his numbers beyond the 82 games. But I might just repeat myself, because already last year I said that the biggest thing for this team would be that their top draft picks would step up to another level, because they already had the weapons in place to back them up, but since it didn't necessarily end up happening if you count out K. Andre Miller's and Philip Hedo's small breakout seasons, they are still facing that same fate this year and I won't consider them as cup contenders before that ends up happening simple as that. 
they need those guys to step up because if their scoring ends up being on the shoulders of just four or five guys, we know what to expect because we just witness what happens and it ain't that favorable for the organization that I can tell you. So yeah, nothing new there, but like I said, luckily Philip Hedel was able to improve his numbers as their third line center, so the next question will be, could he challenge Trojek for their second line spot? Also, Keandre Miller began his search towards the wider audiences with his 43-point campaign, but despite having an extremely strong top four, I would say that they still need one or two more additions to their blue line before their possible playoff run, since we've now seen in back-to-back years that big, physical, and elusive blue lines are the ones that end up coming on top, so there's another aspect that might be on the cards the closer we get to the postseason itself. And the final thing I want to point out is their contract situation, since in order to bring in new blood for the cup push, you need to shed some salary off your books, and more than likely one of their younger guys could be under the trigger if push comes to shove, in addition to bottom six forward Barclay Goodrow, who still has four years remaining on his 3.6 million deal, not to mention the pending RFAs, Ryan Lindgren and Braden Schneider, so quite frankly it's going to be a big year for Mr. Drury if he aims to keep this team intact for future cup runs. But then, to my predictions. First we got the scoring leader prediction, since we are about to witness the wrath of the bold Phoenix Panarin. I'ma give him the title, and when it comes to breakout player, I have to nominate Kapokakko for that role, cause it's do or die time for him. And since we ended up seeing him already break the 40 point mark last year, it would be foolish to expect anything less than 60 dots from him with top 6 minutes. 50 won't be enough since, at this point, it's a race between him and Lafreniere on who's going to get the final rose. Get it? Bachelor reference? Well, anyway, so while saying that, it could as easily be Lafreniere that ends up with the better stat sheet, but these guys are the ones that have to show something extra this year. There's no questions about it. Don't sleep on Miller either, because last year was just a sample of his future upside, and alongside him, Matthew Robertson is also another name that could jump in their top six when injuries start to pile up, but don't expect him to make much noise on the points department. And you may want to keep your eye out for Brendan Othman also, since he could easily make their lineup out of camp and make a lasting impression in their middle-slash-bottom six when the action starts in just few weeks. And lastly, when it comes to hot take, I changed their cup run last year, so I'm definitely not going to do that mistake again, and I'm going to just say that Kapokakko finishes the year with at least 65 dots. So it pretty much goes hand in hand with my earlier statement. I believe in him since he looks physically ready to take on anyone in front of the net, and with that, he should earn few talks as goalie spit pucks right into his tape. And if he gets to play alongside Kreider, Shiba, and Fox on their first line, 50 points is already checked off the list, so call me again in the spring when Kippo has 30 Gs in his bank account and 70 dots on his score sheet. But once more, big, big year coming up for this Rangers punch, which is shadowed by a few major question marks, but if Lavi gets a grip on this team and Young Bucks start to rattle their antlers, don't be surprised to see this team battling for the President's Trophy, which I hope they don't end up winning, and you know exactly why that is.
Next though, we will head to Pennsylvania where we will find our next two teams. And as you could probably guess, I ain't going to waste too many brain cells with the Flyers after that whole Isles episode. But since that is my obligation, we might as well quickly cross over their offseason moves and eventually come to a mutual conclusion that this team will get bent over for the entire 82-game campaign. So, Ivan Provorov, Kevin Hayes, Justin Braun, JVR, Brendan Lemieux, Tony D'Angelo and Kiefer Bellows got out of the torch show this summer, while Sean Walker, Cal Peterson, Ryan Paling, Garnet Hathaway, Mark Stoll, and Victor Mete were brought in to lead their ship towards the upcoming NHL 2024 entry draft. But kudos for Danny Breer for finally officially starting the rebuild since there was no avoiding the fact that this team was in desperate need for some facelift. But other than that, the outlook for the Flyers fans is pretty ugly. But hey. Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do, and in this case, that is to spread the cheeks for some high-end talent. And I think that is the way to go in the long run. And that sounded wrong, but you get exactly what I mean. Their 31, 38, and 13 record will get much worse this year, and they should easily take the last spot in the division even without going into details, because already on paper, they have one of the worst lineups in the entire league, and that is even with Shanko Tourier and Cam Atkinson, who both missed the entire 22-23 campaign due to injuries. And since the truth of the matter is that they are going to sell at the deadline, this bunch will become even worse in the springtime. So pretty much the best thing to happen for guys like Travis Konechny, Owen Tippett, Travis Sanheim and Carter Hart would be an exit before their season is close because they will go to waste in this town. So... Why wouldn't Breer entertain the idea of trading some of those names away in order to accrue some additional assets for the future? They still got decent trade values and good starts on personal level should only increase their odds of being traded, so I would be very surprised if at least two of those four names wouldn't be out of town before we head to the postseason in the spring of 2024. And oh yeah, Scott Lawton is also a lot to be moved this year, so Add that name to the list as well. And some of you might be asking why in God's green earth would they trade hard away? So let me just pause for a second and tell you exactly why. His advanced analytics were pretty good last year, so they have some leverage in there for sure. And what's the kicker here is that they ain't ready for a playoff push until 2028 at the earliest. So why waste his potential and trade value in Philly when you could avoid another John Gibson situation? And yeah, I understand that Philly hasn't had a standout goalie for many, many years, so I get that Flyers fans want to retain him now that they've gotten their starter, but business-wise, keeping him would make zero sense, and I hope that they realize that as well, so just bring in some veterans to stop Fox whenever he feels like doing so, and make him available as soon as first starters start to fall in the injured reserve. The Hall could end up being more than you could have expected since, like I've said, there are teams that want to get themselves a future starter. And for example, the Habs would make a whole lot of sense timeline-wise, so maybe there's some smoke in the air, who knows, but that would be my game plan, no questions about it. Morgan Frost can stay, he's probably their future second-line center, and Joel Farabee doesn't probably hold that much trade value that it's worth while the shipping elsewhere. And you surely don't want to let Cam York go, because 
you don't have that many blue chip DM prospects coming up, so just make most of your situation and let the young kids cook and see what you could get for those guys when the time is right. Last place finish is my prediction and I feel like there won't be too many arguments against it, so when it comes to tough scorer, I feel like if Travis Konechny ends up staying in Philly, he will take home that title, but if not, it's either going to go to previously mentioned Morgan Frost or Owen Tippett. Once again, if he ends up staying, because currently I don't see a scenario where Sean Couturier, who has missed two years of action, just magically returns to his old form if he's even able to step onto the ice. So those will be my guys going forward, and I might even hand Cam Atkinson some odds as well, because he should be returning to their lineup and could be a useful asset on their top six if he ends up staying healthy. When it comes to breakout player, I feel like we are about to witness the coming out party of Cam York, who registered just 20 points last year, but if he ends up finding like 35 dots plus this year, I would certainly see it as a W, but it could end up being a reach when taking a look at their offensive units. Also, Bobby Brink could see some action on the next level, and my dark horse candidate is going to be Tyson Forster, who made a lasting impression to me by notching 7 points in 8 games, so now that I think about it, I probably should have gone with him, but oh well, that's yesterday's news already, so let's just stick with York. And oh yeah, don't forget Emil Andre's name either, because he could sneak into their roster at some point, but... As you can see, most of the X-Factors regarding Philly are linked to their upcoming names as it should be, so while keeping an eye out for the guys that might be on their way out, you gotta pay attention to their young guard. But other than that, there won't be too many good reasons to follow this team, that's for sure. And as a hot take, I'm going to say Joel Faraby finishes with plus 50 points this year. He has spent four years in the bright lights now, and his highest total to date is 39 from last year, so he certainly has some work to do in order to reach that mark. But if he does that, he could be entered in the trade list as well. But for the most part, the expectations lay on names Konechny, Frost, Tippett, and York, so he can just chill out and see if the puck ends up finding its way in the back of the net just as a byproduct. But I think that's about all I wanted to tell you about the Flyers, so keep your eyes on those few young names and the trade market because they still have just two firsts and two seconds for the upcoming draft and that needs to change, so keep your eyes and ears ready for any new Philly trade updates. The final two teams remaining, and since we are still in the state of Pennsylvania, we might as well go through the Steel City representatives that made the biggest offseason splash by acquiring the reigning Norris winner Eric Carlson to the Penguins' legacy team. Last year was a massive disappointment for the Penguins squad, which eventually led to big offseason moves orchestrated by their new general manager, Carl Dubes who decided to detach himself from Brendan Shanahan's umbilical cord and now gets to take the reins in Pittsburgh, where the veteran core is staring down the barrel concerning their possible cup window. Dmitry Kulikov, Brian Dumoulin, Jason Zucker, Nick Bonino, Ryan Paling, Josh Archibald, Mikael Granlund, Jan Ruda, Jeff Petrie, Casey Desmith and Danton Heinen highlighted the departing flight out of Steel City, 
Meanwhile, the arrivals to Pittsburgh included names Alex Nedeljkovic, Nole Chari, Riley Smith, Ryan Graves, Matt Nieto, Lars Eller, Magnus Helberg, Will Butcher, Winnie Hinostroza, Andreas Jonsson, Eric Carlson, Rem Pitlick, NPTO signings, Mark Pisic, Libor Hajek, Austin Wagner, and Colin White. So, all in all, pretty big portion of their lineup has been shaken up since entering the new NHL season in 2022, and that obviously brings its own concerns, but let's not focus on that just quite yet. Last year, inconsistency was the main factor in them missing the playoffs entirely, and like many of you know, they completely shit the bed at the finish line by losing to both bottom-feeder teams Chicago and Columbus, which enabled the Panthers to clinch the final remaining playoff spot from the Eastern Conference. Both Sid and Gino had amazing individual years as the team's leading offensive cogs, but down years from Brian Rust and pretty much their entire bottom six were other factors that led to their scoring struggles. And when you add into the mix also mediocre special teams and subpar goaltending, it's pretty much a coin toss if you end up making the playoffs. And last year, unfortunately, the story was that they missed the playoffs by just one point with a record of 40 wins, 31 losses and 11 overtime losses. But will that change within the next 82 game campaign is the real question surrounding the franchise at the moment. The big additions without questions are EK65 and Riley Smith who ended up being Vegas's cap casualty so at least when you compare these two to the ones they are meant to replace. You can say that they are better off with these two despite Zucker's tremendous 48-point campaign but even after Dubis's major ventilation effort there are still some concerns linked to this team that might prohibit their entry to the postseason after 82 games which are heavily linked to their depth as well as goaltending. First of all, last year their bottom six and especially third line led by veteran Jeff Carter was under major scrutiny and rightfully so because pretty much they were liability defensively and couldn't produce much offensively so. How are they aiming to fix that issue is one major question mark without forgetting of course the fact that they are currently very top heavy where you got guys like Raquel Sid, Smith, Gensel and Gino that can clap home north of 50 points per season, but who's going to replace them if the injury box starts to crawl up and down their Lululemons? Yeah, exactly. At least I can find too many names that could fit that script, and the fact is that some of those names have missed significant portions in the past due to health issues, so when keeping that in mind, you also gotta check the decor and blue paint to see if the same thing applies to those positions as well. And when you make the realization that that indeed is the case, you gotta start scripting your obituary because if they end up losing even two guys from their top lines, they could be in for a ride because at that point you need a miracle run and those odds decrease every passing year thanks to their aging core. Carlson and Letang are top-tier blue liners, there's no questions about that, and I hope from the bottom of my heart that Tanger can stay healthy across the 82 games, because we know how much he went through this year, but guys alongside those two don't fill me up with confidence despite decent seasons from young P.O. Joseph and Marcus Pedersen. Graves obviously should be an overall improvement over Brian Dumoulin, whose level of play started to really head south after his injury in 2022. And Marcus Pedersen has pretty much just taken his place as their best defensive defenseman, but still, 
I would argue that this decor is nowhere near the league elite despite the few offensive-minded gems because they don't have that overflowing physicality of defensive presence back there that, for example, separated Vegas from the rest of the NHL during last year's campaign. And yeah, the Cats made the finals with less than desirable decor and even Vegas's conference opponent Dallas wasn't stacked defensively, but still this top six just worries me, especially when knowing that there ain't too many guns coming up either. So if Jari, first of all, can't stay healthy and second of all, can't find consistency, I can't see this team making the playoffs even how sad that might end up sounding because right now I don't trust either of their backups, Nedeljkovic or Helberg, so if the decor ends up holding water as well as Mosquito Net does, they could be in for a ride that ends up featuring similar ending to their prior season. And I hate to repeat myself, but pretty much I'm just banging the same drum as last year, but you also gotta realize that once these star players start getting older, injuries become the biggest concern, and since this team currently is the oldest team in the league, you gotta face the facts, and as long as they have that tag on them, I can't help but point out the most glaring aspect that will have the biggest impact in their end result. But now that we've gone down the horror plot, I have to say that I'm quite optimistic about their upcoming season while acknowledging the glaring weaknesses that might end up affecting their outcome. But as long as you have Sid the Kid, Mr. Three-Year Super League, Jake the Snake, Tanger, and Mr. Flow himself on your roster, you have pretty good chance of finding your way to the postseason. And after all, they were only one point away from that already last year, so I feel like I ain't the only one expecting them to improve from last year and making their way back to the postseason after their short hiatus. Carlson by himself will improve their power play margin. Lars Eller should bring more defensive prowess to their third line, and they get decent enough depth to plug up the bottom six without forgetting the physical aspect that Nola Chari will bring to their game, so... There's few reasons for optimism, but they have to avoid injuries by all means necessary because they can't afford to lose many core guys to IR because the East has already enough moving parts which may force them outside of the playoff picture. So while we may not see a Penguin army resembling their heyday rosters, they certainly will be competitive and we know that Dubas will use the whole deck in his disposal throughout the year in order to get them past the 82 game mark. That's one fact that we know to be true. Last year, Sid took the scoring title with a dominant 93-point campaign, and I fully believe that number 87 will retain his title next year. And overall, I would be surprised if they didn't have at least six guys over the 50-point mark next year because they have that much firepower in their top six. Breakout-wise, I'm going to pull a rabbit out of my ass and tell you that Alex Nylander will be my breakout candidate from the current Penguins roster because he's coming off of a 50-point year in the AHL and was able to put up two dots in nine games on the next level last year. So if he gets top nine minutes next year like he probably should, he could come up with like 30 points next year, but it all depends on the fact if he ends up making the cut. While the other options for that spot would be defenseman Ty Smith and P.O. Joseph, who racked up decent numbers themselves in the NHL as well, but I'm going to go with Nylander because Dubas has worked with this brother and probably knows how the brothers operate, so I could easily see him getting the opportunity and getting closer to his 2016 first-round draft upside. 
And as a hot take, I'm going to say that Tristan Jerry has a bounce back here and he puts up a 0.920 save percentage at the end of 82 games. His current track record at least would support that idea since back in 2020, he had a 0.921 save percentage. Then a year after that, his total dropped to 0.909. Then in 2022, his numbers climbed back to 0.919. And last year, he once again returned back to 0.909 save percentage. So if you go by probabilities, that is bound to happen. So we will just go with that. But like I said, Dubas has done a tremendous job in his first few months in the big office because after the Hextal period, this team was in total shambles contract-wise. So it's been eye-opening how much the team has actually changed since Dupi took over and begun making changes earlier this summer. Lots of causes optimism in my camp. The team has the right ingredients for success, but it all comes down to health and consistency. So... We'll see if this veteran team still has that extra gear to put all on the line in order to battle for the notorious Lord Stanley Trophy. And since we are already on the topic of veteran teams, we might as well back this episode up with the final remaining teams from the Metropolitan Division. And that, of course, is the Washington Capitals, who, just like the Penguins, are looking to squeak into the playoffs after falling short in their previous 82-game campaign. They ended up finishing 6th in the Metro, missing the playoffs by 12 points with a record of 35 wins, 37 losses and 10 overtime losses. And since they were out of the playoff race relatively early last year, they decided to start freshening up the squad at the deadline and even continued to do so during this year's offseason. But I gotta be honest and say that despite some changes made, I was surprised that we didn't end up seeing more movement out of DC because just like the Pens, they belong to the veteran end of the NHL and have lost a lot of pep from their steps since the cup days. So I would have imagined them bringing in more youth to their roster in order to narrow down the pace gap to some of the shift tier teams of the NHL. But what exactly happened in DC during the summer is that they let go of Craig Smith who joined the team at the deadline in the Orlov Hathaway trade. Defenseman Gabriel Carlson was left without a contract. Connor Sheary left to Tampa. Matt Irwin joined the Canucks. And Connor Brown joined his former teammate McJesus in Edmonton. In addition to Carl Hagelin, who decided to hang up his skates due to health issues. So, when you add that list of departures to the one which was published at the deadline, it is clear that they've experienced quite a change since last year. But, unfortunately, at least at the moment, I have to say that it hasn't been for the better, and you may get exactly why that is in a moment when I tell you who has joined the team over the summer period. First, they brought in Joel Edmondson from Montreal via trade, then signed Max Pacioretty to a one-year deal when the free agency market opened up, and finally, they signed a pocket rocket Matthew Phillips to a one-year league minimum, but that's it if you count out the few prospect signings they made in the offseason. So, when knowing the fact that they don't have many blue-chip prospects coming up their ranks, you start to wonder who's going to carry the boats if some of their veterans start to end up in the IR within the next 82 games, like has happened in recent history. And don't worry, I'm not going to go too in-depth here since pretty much everything I said about the pens applies to caps as well, at least when it comes to injury concerns, but last year injuries were exactly the main reason why they ended up missing the postseason and by a large margin no less, so I have to be honest and tell you that I strongly feel like their cup window has already closed. 
Ovi's 38, Beckstrom 35, Kuznetsov 31, who also could be on his way out. Pretty much no one knows at this point, but usually when there's smoke, there's fire. So at least in my opinion, the question at this point is just when he ends up leaving. Oshie's 36, both Carlson and Jensen 33, TVR 32, Edmondson 30, Patches 34, and even Kemper 33. So, yeah. They got a bold lot of experience in that group of names, but they ain't getting any younger. And pretty much each individual I just named has been out of their lineup for a significant amount of time. So I feel like another fire sale is inbound because I just can't see them really challenging the much younger and faster Eastern teams alone for the open spots to the last dance. Of course, there's a chance where these guys put on a show of a lifetime because the talent is there. But in order to do that, most of these guys would need to be able to play 70 to 75 games next year. And since I feel like that's a pipe dream by looking at their injury history, I feel like from this point on, every move this team makes is aimed to assist Ovi on his journey to become the best goal scorer in the NHL history, while also making some improvements to your draft bank on the way. Anthony Manta will get dealt before next summer rolls around. There's no questions about that. And Kuz, like I said, could be out already before the Christmas break if this team stumbles out the gates. So don't wait too long and start making decisions as soon as you start mailing fire because there are a few guys in your farm system who are drooling to get their first legs on the NHL ice. And since you don't have too many of them there waiting, you should really start to act on it and let the next wave start to get used to NHL pace. I believe that Kemper's numbers will take another hit this year, but I also feel like even despite that, he will have decent advanced analytics on his side because I don't trust their defense and he needs to be the man between their pipes if they even want to have a sniff of the postseason before the All-Star break. And like I said, that top six can still do damage, especially now that Dylan Strom has found a groove with his new linemate number eight. So I expect him to keep up his scoring numbers from the earlier season. Tom Wilson will also have a big impact on this team's success since he missed most of the last season due to an injury and after coming back couldn't really get his game back on track. So now with a full summer behind him, I believe that he will come out the gates banging like the rest of the team. And if in fact Max Pacioretty is ready to rumble, he will bring much needed scoring help to their top nine. But it remains to be seen if that ends up being the case, or if he just ends up spending the majority of the season pedaling the exercise bike in the nation's capital. So all in all, what I'm trying to say here is that this team has potential to be on the hunt for available playoff spots, but team's overall health will determine their end result and strong start will be vital for this team since I just can't see this team staying fully healthy for the entire 82-game campaign. Scoring-wise, I feel like Owe will still retain his tough spot because he has found new chemistry with his new centerman Dylan Strom. But if he ends up missing some games due to injuries, I could easily see Strom taking the top spot to himself since he has rejuvenated his career in D.C. and could end up being a tremendous pickup for a team like Boston if they end up spending some assets to address their current center problem. Breakout-wise, I fully believe that we are about to witness Rasmus Sandin breaking out of his cage because after arriving in D.C. he was dynamite. And in my opinion, his time in Toronto was overlooked, and I get the reasons why that was, but 
Now that he gets regular top four minutes and some power play time, I feel like 45 points could be a good start, but even more could be expected to be completely honest. It is also going to be interesting to see if guys like Connor McMichael and Hendrix Lapierre will get their chances up top because there certainly will be spots open for those two if they end up trading some pieces away. While Vincent Iorio and Ivan Mirosnichenko are also names that you should keep your eyes on. And finally, as a hot take, I'm going to say that this team makes the playoffs because currently I can't see them beating the top teams in the East and it's even doubtful that they will be able to challenge the bubble teams. So to me, it would be kind of a miracle and that's why I wanted to throw that out there because this could be their Boston-esque year where they lay everything that they have on the line and end up pushing themselves to the top eight when all is said and done. But it is certainly far-fetched, and with that, we are also going to close out our today's Metropolitan Division season preview. Lots of moving parts and uncertainty is linked to this division because the top teams have separated themselves from the rest of the crowd, so the wildcard race could become bloodier than many expected. So we'll see if the old guard can challenge the young upcoming teams and beat them to the finish line after all 82 games have been played. We still got one more division remaining, so remember to check in again next week because the Pacific, much like the Metro, is expected to be one of the toughest divisions in the league next year. And if you've happened to miss the previous two season previews, make sure to check them out because the NHL season is just around the corner and the NHL Global Tour is already done within the land of Down Under, so you don't want to get caught with dick in your hand once the action really ramps up in just few short weeks. Let me know your thoughts and make sure you let me know if I happen to miss any critical aspects because even though I try to make sure that I pay attention to every little detail, something always ends up slipping through my fingers. So that's where you guys come into play and remind this clown that this is just for pure entertainment and the informative part is just an add-on to everything else. But regardless, I hope that you enjoyed once again, we ended up passing the one-hour mark with flying colors, even though I thought that I could somehow crunch it down a bit, but it is what it is, and I hope that I still have enough energy for next week, because these have taken time to prepare, so if you've learned something new, or these episodes have started to get you hyped up about the new NHL season, leave some love for the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast. You certainly don't have to, I'm not forcing you to do that. I just hope that these shows can bring you entertainment for each week because that is exactly what keeps me going as well. But I hope you enjoyed. Remember to stop by again next week because then we will tackle the final remaining division, the Pacific, which you certainly don't want to miss out on. So leave a rating if you enjoyed and let your buddies know that as an exception, the season previews this year will be on time for the first time before the official NHL season kicks off. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you stopping by. Have an awesome week, you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.